Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Hi everyone, glad you're here today. We are finishing up the 10 things to do when your life falls apart. And for those of you who are counting, you're right. Actually, we only did three of the 10 things. Unfortunately, you'll have to buy the book if you want to know all 10 of them. But today we're going to cover number four. And I saved actually uh, for last my favorite one. And the simple version of it is... When things have fallen apart, which will really help us get through it, is love. I mean, it makes sense. Love is that biggest container of God in the universe, if you will. And so the idea that love is a healing force, of course, is something that we're familiar with. But Daphne Kingma does have some real specific ideas about how love can get us through troubling times. And I want to talk about them today. And I think, in fact, a good place to start is uh, reading how she begins this chapter. She says, there's a reason why so many of us are going through crises of one sort or another. Why even as a nation and as a global community, we're facing such difficulties. Quite simply, we're in all of this to bring us together, to teach us love. When our lives are no longer a walk in the park, we finally get it that we're all connected. We are not alone in this practice of our excesses and we're not alone in our suffering. Finally, finally we come face to face with our need and more importantly, with our need for each other. And so today we're going to talk about uh, this idea of connection. First of all, though, I want to talk uh, a little bit about one of the problems with the word love. Um, I think we're mostly used to the idea of love in that boyfriend, girlfriend, that kind of romantic idea. And of course, English is almost unique in the word in the world for having that one word stand for so many things. Uh, I mean, it's everything from having a crush on someone to something that you feel for your grandmother and everything in between. And so oftentimes when we say something boldly like, well, love will help us through this, it's like, what does that mean exactly? Does that you know, mean that I can, I can wait for someone to come to my rescue and sort of love me up? Um, What does it mean to say that love is a healing force? And so I think part of my job today is explain a little bit about what Daphne King means when she says that love is a healing force. So the place to start is when our life has fallen apart, when there is something going on that is just unpalatable, when, uh, you know, the rug gets pulled out from underneath us, She says the the place that we ought to go first is recognizing that we're not alone. And so love in its first iteration is simply that awareness that we're all in this together. And of course that takes many forms. Now some of us, again, back to that original idea love, may think it's going to come from our partners. That sense of connection maybe should come from our families. And yet... If you folks are anything like me, sometimes it's our families that have caused the problem, 
right? Is there, is there anyone here that would, you know, own up to that idea that maybe our families are not the perfect loving, yeah, especially coming off of Thanksgiving, some of you are going, oh, I was so glad that that was done. And, and it's that sometimes, it, it's like sometimes the people that we love the most are also the one that we really hesitate to share some of our issues with because we have a history that maybe isn't as clean or as nurturing as we would like. And so let's, let's put aside that idea that we, we have to get our sense of connection and our sense of working through some of the tough things with the people closest to us because that can be true. Often it's not true. Often the very people that we would wish to have support with may in fact be on the other side of that argument, maybe on the other side of that particular issue. And so how do we get this idea of being connected with people that are not necessarily the ones that love would traditionally bring to us? Well, first of all, let's break down the idea of love and include people just as people. We are connected to our entire human race and but want of a little bit of connection and friendship, everyone actually on the planet can be a confidant. Everyone on the planet can exchange with you enough of that idea of intimacy so that we can help one another get through things. And I think, I think you know what I'm talking about. Have you found yourself occasionally talking to a perfect stranger in a way that felt like a connection that had been there for 20 years? Haven't you found yourself sometimes with someone almost brand new where you find yourself talking almost intimately around the things that are going on in your life and you have that sense of upliftment, that sense of, my gosh, there is someone who is actually listening to me. Well, what is happening is that you are actually opening your heart. And sometimes that freedom to do that with a stranger may even be more important than some of the betrayals or things that have happened with people that you know quite well. And so don't diminish the idea that sometimes it's just waiting for an avenue to enter into your life, this new idea of sharing, this new idea of not being alone. Which reminds me of the whole issue of thinking we're going to work it out by ourselves. If you were raised like I was, there's this idea somehow that when things go wrong, I will puzzle it out. I will figure it out on my own. It's like a, it's like a challenge that needs to be figured out how I will achieve you know, some reversal of fortune, how I will figure out how to make things right in the world. And I got to tell you, that's probably one of the worst messages that I had as a little kid is that I could figure this out on my own. First of all, we almost never figure out things on our own. If we could figure out things on our own, we probably wouldn't be in the hot water we're in. Do you know what I mean? There's something about me that has probably caused the, the situation that I'm in. And if I'm leaving it up to me, I'm probably just going to dig the hole deeper, right? <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to figure this out. And then the second piece of it is, oftentimes... Things are not to be figured out. 
Things are simply often to be experienced and worked through. Often there isn't a pat little solution to what's come up. It isn't a matter of, uh, I think the reason that I had this initial idea was uh, my parents loved crossword puzzles. Now I know this doesn't sound like it has any bearing on this at all, but I think that my mom had the idea that if she studied a problem long enough, the right seven letter word would take care of it. Do you know what I mean? That life was kind of like a crossword puzzle and that if you put enough time and attention and had the right Scrabble dictionaries that you could conquer the world. And, and sometimes the world isn't to be conquered, but rather just experienced, rather just there as a presentment that we walk through as best we can relying on the help of other people. Not to be figured out, not a a problem that needs a specific solution. Uh, I mean, if you think about the grieving process, for instance, which, which a lot of us face at one time or another in our life, that is a good example of when life certainly feels like it's fallen apart. Do you see, there's not a solution to it. There's just a living with it. There's a a moving through. There's a sense of feeling the feelings and and taking one step after another. But it's not a a puzzle to be solved. And the same is true with so many things in life. It's not some thing or some action that actually solves a problem. It's simply how do I approach it? How do I move through it? And very often, I am not the person to actually figure out even that. I remember when uh, I was going through some troubled times. uh, Well, and it's why I have an ex. uh, The process of getting an ex presented some problems a few years ago. And, uh, and I can still remember, I was kind of ashamed, the problem that I was in, I was a little bit ashamed to talk to other people. People would say, well, how you doing today? And of course, what do we always say when someone says, how you, yeah, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> and finally, one day I was smart enough to realize that someone was actually being more like a real friend and saying, no, how are you today, <laughs> right? Notice the difference. And so I tried to sort of speak spill it all out, and because I had held on to it for so long, it was like, oh my gosh, then it was too much information. Do you know what I mean? It's like we need to be able, I think, little by little to people, explain as we go what happens, so that it's not a whole bunch of just ugliness built up inside that one day, sooner or later, is just going to spill out and overtake the earth. We have to have that sense of, no, I'm going to share my process, whether I'm grieving, whether I got fired at work, whether I'm having a troublesome time. Well, anyway, uh, back to my story of my ex. One day, I finally decided I actually need some help with this. And I went to see a psychiatrist, well, a psychologist, actually. uh, And that was so very helpful. It was another thing, I think, that, too, I was uh, nervous about telling people. It's as though somehow having someone help me was something I should be shy about. Why is that? Why do we think that actually asking for help 
is somehow a sin or a problem or makes me less than. It was one of the best decisions that I ever made. For one thing, it gave me enough gumption to say it was appropriate that the ex become an ex. It was a good thing, right? And up until that point, I was trying to sort of guilt trip myself to saying, no, we're in this till the bitter end. It's like, and the, and the psychologist said, well, why would you want a bitter end? right? That had never occurred to me. Now, you're all smart people. It would have occurred to you. But when I'm in my own process, when I'm creating my own trouble, some of the most obvious things have to come from other people. You know, the other great success in my life around other people is simply knowing that there's a group of people going through what I'm going through. That's why loss and grief groups are so important. That's why Alcoholics Anonymous is so successful. Here is a group, of, when the bottom has bottomed out and you're desperate, here is a group of people that have gone through that same thing and been successful on the other side of it, knowing that you're not alone being in a group of people that have experienced similar things. So very reassuring, so very helpful in our healing processes. So so, so whether you seek out a, you know, a, a licensed practitioner or a therapist or whether you go to a 12-step meeting or a, or a grief group or something like that, these are all avenues by which you are no longer alone and someone is there that can actually guide you with some of the ideas like you don't have to stick it out to the bitter end because why would someone want a bitter end? So Daphne King, though, doesn't leave it there. She also says there's something also very important around this idea of relationships and connections that we could do, and I think I need to illustrate it with a joke. And this one's kind of a visual joke, so bear with me, because I'm not necessarily the best at slapstick comedy. We will see how this goes. So the young farmer is... Uh, it gets to go to market the first time. So always before he's gone to market uh, with his parents in the back of the truck. And this time he's off to the market himself. He's about 16 years old and he has a pig under one arm. He has a chicken under the other arm and he has a basket, an empty basket on his head. And the idea is, of course, he'll trade the pig and the chicken and bring home some nice produce for dinner um, in the basket on his head. Trouble is, as he's walking along, he comes to an intersection and he, for the life of him, can't remember which way he goes usually. Does he go left or does he go right? And he's just really stuck. Luckily, a young woman comes up and is headed to market as well. And he's like, oh, well, thank heavens. This will work out fine. So which way do we go? And she says, well, we're going to head to the left here and go for a couple miles and then we'll make another left turn and go for a couple miles and then we'll make a third left turn and it'll be about half a mile and there's the village and that's where market is. And the kid looks at her and goes, three left turns? Why would we do that? And, and the young woman says, well, if we go to the right here, it goes through kind of a secluded part of the woods. And I don't want any of the villagers to think that maybe we stopped in the woods for a kiss. Well, the young farmer goes, look at me. I've got a pig under one arm and a chicken under the other arm and a basket on my head. There isn't going to be any kissing. And the young woman said, well, I suppose not. But, you know, the chicken could be put down under the ground and the basket get put over it. And the young man kind of looks at her and she says, 
and I could hold the pig. <laughs> and so the, <laughs> I know, not my best effort, but, but it illustrates that sometimes you just gotta make it happen. Sometimes, sometimes, if you want more connection and more love in your life, you just gotta make it happen. It's not reasonable to think that if you want connection with other people that it's gonna happen in your house while you're binge watching the Game of Thrones, right? It's not reasonable to think that love is gonna come from Amazon.com in a package. We need to be with people and sometimes we have to set that up. Sometimes we have to do what is necessary. And I wanna give you some ideas because again, there tends to be, when things go wrong, there tends to be that natural tendency towards isolation, that I'm gonna take care of this on my own. I'm gonna lock myself up in the house until this all blows over. I'm gonna pull the, the blanket over my head and maybe in three months, right? Does this sound familiar to anyone? That we, we think that I should isolate myself until I'm human again. I should, I should somehow sequester myself from the world until I'm right. Well, well, that just puts off you being right. That puts off the, the love and connection that people could bring you. So, some ideas. First of all, I cannot recommend strongly enough becoming a volunteer somewhere. If your life has fallen apart, there is nothing better than helping other people whose lives have fallen apart. Um, back to my story of my, uh, my, my ex. So I was very grieving that even though the relationship was stinky, when it was gone, I so grieved it. Now again, this is not rational thinking, but yet being single again in my 50s, there was this note of fear and desperation in me and I so missed that relationship even though it was awful. I know it doesn't make any sense at all. And a friend of mine said, what you need to do, you just need to go volunteer at Open Meadow Alternative School in North Portland. You know, I have some friends there, go volunteer. And just because this was a close friend, I sort of did what she said. <laughs> in like a stroke of genius, she hooked me up in a way that was awesome because there I was tutoring teenagers. Now, you might say to yourself, well, that actually doesn't sound so much like a picnic, but... <laughs> But in a strange sort of way, it was totally what I needed. Here were some young people struggling in, uh, in their schoolwork and also struggling a bit in their home lives. One of them was a, a gang member trying to get out of being in one of the local gangs in town. Another one was being raised uh, by his grandmother who maybe was not in the best position to have a teenager at home. And, and she was kind of used to raising kids from you know 50 years ago, not kind of a more modern teenager. And so not only was it helping with some math skills and some English skills, but it was really talking out life with each other. And here were young people more than willing to tell me what was going on in their lives and, and, and what was up for them. And, uh, and it was an amazing sense of being needed, an amazing sense of being connected 
with someone else. And I gotta tell you, thoughts of that weird relationship faded really quickly because I could see the world of possibilities of other relationships, not, not romance, but that connection to other people in a way that just, it can't happen when I'm at home by myself feeling sorry for myself. Now, I do have a couple words of caution. Because I did mention that sometimes an easy thing to do is find a group of people like you to work out issues with. However, I also want to pose the issue of the pity party. So if you find yourself in a group of well-meaning people and time after time after time, all you do is talk about how awful something is, that, that very condition you're hoping to work through, then probably that's not the group for you, right? We want to be with people who successfully are navigating through difficult times, whether it's a grief support, whether it's a, a counselor, whether it's, a, it's AA. In fact, AA is a great example. I remember uh, when I was in, uh, in uh, rehab first, uh, uh, they required you to go to so many AA meetings. And I got to tell you, I was digging my heels in a little bit. I think I'd seen too many movies of grim looking men um, standing around a Bible or so. Of course, it wasn't the Bible. It was the big book, but I didn't know that. So I'm picturing these grim older gentlemen huddled around a Bible, and I'm like, yeah, that's so Larry. But of course, we had to go, and I went to my first meeting, and I went, oh my gosh, this isn't what I had pictured. Here are people talking about their success in recovery. Oh my gosh. And so that's what we want. When we want to be around other people, we're hoping to be, we're practicing, and we're maybe even shopping a little bit to be around people who have taken those steps ahead of us, people that have successfully navigated through the process of grief, grief and loss, people who have successfully navigated through um, the surgeries or the chemotherapies, right? Not someone who in despair is stuck where they are, but rather people with a lot of hope, people with a lot of uh, gumption, that sense of progress. And so that is my, my one caution, my only caution around being around people is just verify that they are actually helping you move through and not kind of holding you down. And here also is my suggestion that sometimes it not include family members. For whatever reason, family members seem to have a vested interest in things not changing a whole lot. And so if you have been kind of portrayed as the bad seed or the, the, the one that's the goody two-shoes or whatever, whatever your position in the family has been, Unfortunately, often family members will kind of want to maintain that status quo. And so you're trying to move through it. You don't want to be the alcoholic brother anymore. You don't want to be the, you know, the, the poor downtrodden sister anymore. Trouble is, sometimes that's how they view you. So again, let's go back to this idea of connections are 
everywhere. I still remember a woman, and probably the people uh, in line behind me weren't so happy on that day at the Safeway store. But I still remember that day when I went up and the the checker just looked so downtrodden that day. She was literally kind of leaning over the belt as though even her backbone wouldn't quite hold her up. And I said, oh my gosh, how long have you been here today? You almost look like you need your break now. And she proceeded to just tell me what a difficult day she had had. And at the end of it, she was smiling. Just that force of being even a loving stranger makes such a difference to other people. So whether you take my advice and maybe um, actually volunteer somewhere in a formal way, or whether you are simply the face of a kind person, that's how healing happens. We actually heal ourselves through our connections to other people. And in fact, have any of the folks here read any of Larry Dossie's books on, uh, on healing and connections? A few of you have. So, so he actually had a theory that prayer and human connections and laughter would heal people more quickly. And uh, he actually got a couple hospitals to sign up for proving that this was indeed true. Guess what? People who have a spiritual support system heal about 25% faster than people who don't have that. People who had visitors in the hospital, whether it be family members or other members of their spiritual community, there was a direct correlation between people who had visitors and early releases from the hospital. People who had no visitors tended to be in the hospital one or two days longer. We actually heal better when we know people care about us. We actually heal more quickly when there are social interactions and laughter going on. People heal literally their physical bodies in knowing that they are connected to something and someone more than just themselves. It's empirical evidence that us locking ourselves away, either literally or figuratively, when we're in trouble is not a good idea. We simply prolong the disease, we prolong the suffering, we prolong the depression, all of those things that we would want to alleviate or move through as quickly as we can, it happens better in the presence of people who care about you. So what do we need to do to put the pig and the chicken down? What do we need to do to set ourselves up with that atmosphere of friendship and connection? That's ultimately your homework. Now, I, I assign it as though we're all in a crisis mode, and I, and I know we're not. So, so this particular homework you can kind of keep in your back pocket from next time you're feeling that the rug has been pulled out from you. But it's good to have a plan. So what is your plan for connection Next time, tragedy strikes. Do you have an idea of the people that when you talk to them, lift your heart up? 
Good to know that. Do you have a sense of the, the music or the, the funny old movies that raise your spirits up? It's good to have those in your memory, kind of have those on tap. Do you have an idea of places where you might like to volunteer or, or groups that might be there to support you when the chips are down? These are useful things and that would be your homework for this week, to have a plan. Now, some of you may actually be experiencing a crisis of sorts, and if that's true, well, well, then go for it. But if not, let us be prepared for next time something happens. What are my resources in terms of friends and family? What are my resources for creating something myself, whether it's through volunteerism or just opening my heart, even on those days when my heart feels like it should be the most closed off? What is my strategy for not locking myself up at home in that personal pity party? All right, well, I'm going to close today, of course, with a final reading and a prayer. This is how she ends this lovely book. She says, love is always here in our midst. Even now, when it feels like your world is coming apart, it can come and find you. Even as the mother reaches out through the crowd for the hand of her child, love can and will find its way to you if your heart is open. Love has thousands of names and millions of faces. It will give you everything you ask for, and only one thing is required, that it may also come and wear your face, and that you will, from time to time, let it use your name. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one, one love and one life. There is but this one thing, the biggest container of love in the universe because it is the universe itself. It is all of the universal love rolled up into this, this one thing and it's available to us. And so I know that when I'm in a crisis, I reach out to that love, to other people, other groups, other uh, therapists, other ways of being so that I am not alone. Not trying to figure out my, my problems that I've created with the same brain that created the problems. No, I, I reach out and share what's going on in my life and I accept and ask for the help that I need. This is true for me. And what I also know is that it can be true for each person in this room, that as we're willing to give up perhaps isolation and step into that larger picture of the world, the world reaches back, the world is there, is on tap to support and love and nurture. And whether it be a 12-step program or a grief support group, whether it be counseling or just talking things over with a friend, I know it is through the connections that we have on this planet that healing occurs. Whether it's physical, emotional, mental healing, it occurs in the presence of other people. And for this, for this I am so very grateful. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. 
Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.